Hey everyone, it's Lindsay. I'm so excited for you all to hear the beautiful insight and encouragement from today's guest, Felicia Masonheimer. On this episode, we will be reminding you that you are capable of finding sweetness in even the most challenging and stressful moments of motherhood. We'll be discussing the cultural phenomenon of failure-centric parenting and why we as women should avoid it at all costs. Felicia will also share practical tips on how you can take charge of your own home to maximize your joy in the day-to-day rather than counting down the minutes until bedtime. Felicia is a wife, mother, author, teacher, and business owner. She's also the founder of a large community called Driven Women, which helps believers to accomplish the will of God in their work, their home, and in the world. We've asked Felicia to be on our show because her wisdom as a mother has powerfully impacted and encouraged both Amaris and myself. We've actually shifted the way that we parent in incredibly positive ways because of Felicia's words and insight. I know you guys will love her as much as we do, so let's dive into episode 12, our interview with Felicia Masonheimer. You may not always see it, but there is a lot of sweet in every mess and in all of the mundane. Exodus 3.8 is a promise to deliver us from the brokenness of life into one filled with hope. We are here to remind you of God's faithfulness and how His love can lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Join us, Lindsay and Amaris, as we get raw and share practical wisdom for all things marriage, motherhood, faith, and womanhood. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. This is the Milk and Honey Podcast. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Milk and Honey Podcast. This is Amaris and I'm here with Lindsay. Hey guys. And our guest, Felicia Masonheimer. Hi guys, so delighted to be here. As we mentioned in our intro, Felicia has made a really, really big impact on me and Lindsay's lives. Felicia, I've never told you this, but pretty much... The majority of the women at my church all know about you because of me. Like, I am like your biggest girl fan. I was like even texting the girls in my um, small group, like all the friends that I have at church in Orlando. And I was like, I'm interviewing because they all messaged me today and they said, oh, you guys need to read this article about hosting with small children by Felicia Masonheimer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing her tonight. I'm like, should I tell her that we're her biggest fans? And they're all like, yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. Praise God. I'm just so grateful for all of the women I meet through this amazing thing we call the internet. It is such a blessing to me. Mm -hmm. So that's so fun. I feel like I could go almost anywhere in the nation and have just incredible coffee dates with people like you. Yes. So Felicia, where are you located? I am in Northern Michigan and up here, we think we don't have accents, but I realize that I probably sound like Sarah Palin and I just need to embrace that. But that is where, (laughs) that is where my accent is from. Um, we're only two hours South of Canada. So very Northern Michigan. You know, yep. You know, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So Felicia, we wanted our listeners to get to know you just a little bit better. So we're going to do five quick fire questions. Are you up for that? Yes. I'm game. So Felicia has absolutely no idea what we're going to ask. So she'll just answer with the first thing that comes to mind as quickly as possible. So you don't have a time limit, but just as quickly as you can think of an answer. Number one, share one of the first memories that comes to mind from your time in high school, good or bad. Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) 
Okay. Okay. Yes, I have one. I was a waitress at a small diner. I was 18 and I had a huge crush on this um, tennis instructor that worked nearby and he would always come in in his tennis whites. And one day I served his table and I spilled chocolate milk on him. And it was the most mortifying experience of my life. (laughs) Did you ever talk again? No, we, we were not even, it was just one of those high school crushes where you're like, I can't even say hi. And you know, you get all shaky when you're around them, but my worst nightmare came true. And I actually spilled chocolate (laughs) on his whites. (laughs) Okay. Number two, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? I think you all will know what I'm going to say, but I would say Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. Reason being, Mm -hmm. it's simple, it's easy to read, and it will teach women how to study the Bible for themselves. What is your go-to coffee drink if you drink coffee? I do. I love it. Um, it, My go-to would be decaf Americano Black. I don't eat sugar anymore. I don't drink caffeine. (laughs) So um, Mm. that's my favorite now. It is, um, it's strong enough, but it's smooth enough too. Number four, what first world problem do you have? I would say a small bathroom. I feel ashamed to complain about this, so I try not to, but Josh and I have never had a bathroom big enough for two people to stand side by side and Mm. use the sink or the mirror. Um, And it's just, it gets a little frustrating after five years, but first world problem, right? (laughs) You deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. We had that in our first house and it's kind of sad not to be able to just like brush your teeth next to your husband or just enjoy that time, right? which I know is like a silly thing, but I always think it's kind of sweet. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last question. We've heard through the grapevine that you're writing a new book. Can you tell us anything about it or is it still like kind of under wraps? It's a little bit under wraps. So I can't say title. I can't say um, like exact launch date or anything like that. It's going to edit this year and launching in 2020. But I can tell you um, it's publishing with Harvest House and it will be discussing kind of the messages uh, that a lot of Christian women are receiving in today's culture where um, we learn about Jesus, we learn about the Bible, but we don't actually know like what does that look like in the middle of my motherhood, in the middle of my grief, in the middle of my struggle. And, And if Jesus promised that he has overcome the world, how come I don't feel like he has. Um, it's addressing, mm-hmm. you know, how we can live as overcomers in Christ, even when we have hard things. Um, so there will be more details on it soon, but that's kind of the summary. Okay. Well, as soon as you have all of that information, we will definitely share it with our listeners as well. Thank you. Okay, guys. So we are going to just jump in. This is really impactful for women, for mothers. And I just want to encourage you like hone in on this because it's so good. So I was lying in bed one night and I saw your Instagram stories because that's when I scroll through is like right before I go to sleep. But I found myself replaying these specific stories like four times over. So I would listen through and then I would backtrack and I'm like, soak that in more. So I would listen through and then I ended up just taking notes on it because I knew it was going to be so impactful for myself, but also for my friends and the people that I love and share life with. 
So um, one thing that you addressed in those stories, Felicia, that really stood out to me was that modern mom culture has a tendency to be failure-centric. Can you describe what you mean by failure-centric motherhood and how it affects our experience as parents? Sure. So failure-centric motherhood is a, a description I use for the mommy culture that we see mainly on social media. I think this was less prevalent before social media. Um, I think it may have existed based on what I've I've talked to some older moms about this, um, but definitely not as much because now we can see it everywhere. It's the memes, the posts, the articles, the blogs that basically say we aren't capable of more than the bare minimum. We're victims of our kids. We can't have a clean house. We can't expect to shower every day or, you know, wear nice clothes anymore. Um, we can't have nice things. Um, we are going to have a struggling marriage or we're never going to have sex with our husbands again. Things like this that are are spoken many times as a joke, but there's truth to every joke. You know, that's what makes jokes funny is they're relatable. There's truth to them. And so what people are taking away is that this is true. Like these things are true. And single women are starting to see this and go, I don't, I don't want to be a mom. Like, look, you lose everything. Why would I want that? Mm -hmm. And what is weird about it is over here, you know, we're, we're saying like, women are capable. The future is female, which I don't completely agree with that statement, but you know, we're speaking this like empowerment to women. But then at the same time, we're saying, by the way, you can't even put on real pants and you'll never be able to do your hair or wear makeup and you can't have happy kids and a clean floor. So we're basically saying, talking out of two sides of our mouths with this narrative that like, oh, you're capable, you're strong, you're equipped unless you're a mom. And that is how mm. that's I kind of sum that up by saying it's failure centric motherhood. It's saying that failure is what we're about and we embrace it and we accept it and we live in it and we're not happy about it and we're not happy with ourselves, but we aren't going to change anything. That's so good. And one of the memes that you shared from Pinterest, you just did some screenshots of them. Um, one said, Not all who wander are lost. Some are just moms in Target hiding from their children. And that meme, when I read it, it also reminded me of the wine culture that moms mm. have created, which kind of perpetuates the idea that we all need a bottle of wine every night in order to feel like a normal human being or feel like ourselves after spending the day with our children. Mm. And I just want to kind of share it. Like, I, I'm not above this failure-centric mindset, but I have been convicted of it in the past year. Prior to that, I have had countless conversations with women where I'm complaining about my children, talking nonstop about my lack of sleep, desperately needing a break, and running out the door as soon as my husband walks in, which there are memes about that all over the place too. And just like you said, Felicia, like I say it jokingly and in banter, but there's always truth behind it. And especially for single women who are preparing to be mothers, they're like, gosh, that does not sound joyful. Like that does not sound like a God-given gift. For me, the conviction came when I asked myself, at whose expense am I making these jokes? Mm. And it was 
at the expense of my three-year-old toddler and my one-year-old child. It convicted me because I realized these children are literally learning from scratch how to cope with massive amounts of emotion, the stimulation that they're experiencing that they've never experienced before, new foods, disappointment, frustration, I mean everything. And they're simply trying to figure out this brand new world that is moving so quickly around them. And it's our blessing and opportunity to guide them, not to mock them or, I mean, just make jokes at their expense. Mm, Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. so, so good and so true. I was telling my husband recently about this specific failure-centric motherhood conversation that Lindsay and I were going to do with you, Felicia. And I was talking to him about how we really value within, specifically within church culture, but like where we really value and say we have to speak highly about our husbands and honor them, but it's not given to our children. We don't talk about them in a way that is honorable, that we would be proud for them to hear when they're older and they're capable of reading and they're capable of understanding what we're, you know, conversating about with our peers and with our friends. And I was just so challenged by that. And I'm thankful that you listen to the Spirit of God and are speaking truth. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's something that He's teaching me as well. I don't want it to seem like, oh, I've got this all figured out, you know, and I, I don't struggle with this. I do. And I have, you know, I had, for me, I wasn't a wine mom. I was a coffee mom, which is, you know, to me, for me, just as much of a dependence. If I can't be nice to my kids because I didn't have coffee, whose problem is that? You know, like if I can't honor my family unless I have a substance, unless I went shopping, unless I, you know, had my thing and my thing isn't Jesus, then what is going on? What is my faith? And it might be my phone. It might be, you know, getting to vent to a friend. It's not that coffee, wine, shopping, and friends are bad in and of themselves. You know, we swing to these wild, you know, extremes sometimes. They're not. They're great. But are they what I serve? Are they what I quote unquote need in order to love my family? You know, it, it's something I have to ask myself a lot. And actually, just the other day, I was really convicting. I was, as a blogger, you know, my phone is my work. And so I try to set boundaries with my phone. But one particular day, I was on it a lot. And my daughter kept, my three-year-old kept coming up to me. And I was just like, I need you to wait. I need you to wait just a second. Let me finish this. And finally, she grabbed my hand as I'm holding the phone. And she said, talk to me, mama. And... Hmm. It was heartbreaking because mm-hmm. it was like, who am I serving right now? What am I serving? What am I doing? You know, here I am trying to serve thousands of strangers, which is great, and ignoring the soul I was told to disciple. And that's the kind of thing that I think we tend to forget when we start like making excuses for this, this lifestyle. Like we're just tolerating our kids. We are just tolerating our husbands or even, you know, giving up on our homes, giving up on our appearance, you know, those things seem really optional. But I think that giving up and then feeling victimized by our kids, by our families, reflects a deeper heart issue at play. Um, 
that we're putting our identities in something that our identities aren't supposed to be in. And then we're getting bitter at the result, even when the solution has been in front of us all the time. And that's walking with God in our homes and with our family. For me, with after my first pregnancy, I had postpartum depression and anxiety. I actually had it after the first two. I have three children. And after my first, I didn't know that I had postpartum depression. I just thought that the world was falling apart. I mean, I mean I'm joking, but I'm also being dead serious. And I was so sad, so indifferent, so anxious, um all just because of my hormones, but I was displaying that with my dialogue to all of my family and all of my peers. I was just talking so much about the difficulties of parenthood and, you know, having a baby, just one baby at that. Um and my family ended up having to pull away from me because of how needy I had become and how draining I had become. And so when you did this failure-centric motherhood on your stories, I was thinking, I'm like, there has to be a balance between having the safe people that we can admit and confess our sins to, but then not talking all about our failures and struggles mm-hmm. to a point where it com- becomes complaining. And so do you know where that balance is or how how can we articulate that to our listeners? There for sure is a balance between failure-centric life and actually navigating the hard things that happen because we're not we're not called to ignore the hard. It is real. It's there and I've walked through it. But I think the key is to have that strong community of just a few godly people that you can go to and say, this is hard. This is what I'm going through right now. And I need prayer. I need wisdom. I have three or four women who I can go to in those seasons and get that insight. And through that, I can then wisely navigate that season and not feel completely overwhelmed by it, but also not pour my, you know, struggle all onto my husband or all onto everybody mm-hmm. because I've I've taken care of it mm-hmm. with women who are pointing me back to the Lord because that's who ultimately needs to take care of it, right? But I think sometimes in the Christian world, it's like, well, just pray about it. Well, yes, but also, you know, you can and should be talking to people about this, but you want to be talking to the right people, not just every single person who will listen. And that will help you cope through that and actually equip you to make the choices and changes necessary. So these women, for example, if I told them, they'd say, wow, that's hard. I've been through it. Here's some things you might want to try and I'll be praying for you. So they give me something that I can actually do, that I can take away and change. You know, what if you got up a little bit earlier? Or um, maybe you need to get out one night a week. You know, something like that, where it's both godly advice and practical advice, and also just simply their presence. And I think that trifecta is what women really need in those hard seasons to help them overcome. Yeah, community has made such an impact in my life. And I have found that I think I used to spread, I mean, I don't think (laughs) I know I used to spread myself so thin and I'm such an open person, like hence my blog that, I mean, I was very, very vulnerable with a lot of people in my life. And I realized that that really worked against me. Honestly, I was 
pouring myself out. And then these women were pouring themselves back out to me. And it's, I mean, it can get really exhausting when you have 15 women that you're trying to be super close with and sharing everything with. And I just learned by Christ's example that we need to have our select few, just like Felicia was saying, and to pour into them. But a lot of people don't even have that. And that's what I've realized more than anything is that typically people aren't pouring themselves into too many and being poured into by too many. They have too few. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this, Felicia. So you mentioned in your story that it's important for us as Christian women to unite around success instead of failure as mothers. And I've had situations with women who don't have a strong community where I'm sharing something positive about my children or about my day as a mom. And especially since that conviction has hit, I've tried to be more vocal about my joy in motherhood. But as I look over at the faces of women, I see looks of disapproval and just kind of like they want to hear something negative. You know, like it would make them feel better because they've had a hard day or they've had a hard week or the game of comparison comes into play and they seem to respond much better to the negativity and the failure-centric motherhood rather than positivity. Have you ever experienced this and how do you handle that if so? I have absolutely experienced this and I think you really express this super well. I think anytime you're trying to change a cultural norm, you're going to get pushback. This is like swimming upstream, mm. like swimming up mommy culture stream here. Um, and it's yeah. it's going to be hard. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people hear that positivity and they read, you think you're better than me. And I've struggled with that because, you know, I'm like, I want to, I want to focus on the positive and I want to stay true to who I am as someone who really strives for excellence in my life. But my excellence that I'm striving for is quote unquote, making other people feel bad. And so for a long time, I was really caught in this hard place where I felt like I couldn't make mom friends because everybody was threatened and intimidated by me. So I had to change myself to even have friends. And in the last couple years, so I've only been a mom for three and a half years, but in the last, I'd say year and a half to two years, I've really just had to learn that the people who want to be your friends are going to see the real you. They're going to be secure in themselves enough to understand that you talking positively about your children is not a threat to them. And it took time for me to find mm -hmm. those moms, to finally like have these moms who came out of the woodwork the more time I spent in my church and in my community who were so secure in their motherhood and in their own choices that if I were to say, yeah, Adeline's been doing so well in this area. I'm I'm really proud of her. Or we've been working on this chore chart that I has, I've developed. They didn't immediately go, I'm not doing a chore chart. I'm inadequate. I don't like this woman. She makes me feel bad. Instead, they maybe mm -hmm. said, well, we don't do chore charts, but you know, this is what we do. And we were able to have a conversation and eventually form a friendship. It's insecurity butting up against insecurity that creates that dissension. And to be honest, I think that we have to just say, you know what? I'm not receiving that. I am still going to stay true to who I am as a mom, who I am in Christ, and continue to be kind and loving. And how they receive me is up to them. And I know that as I'm faithful to show up and put myself in community, 
God's going to bring me the people who are going to be in my inner circle. Going back to what you said, I have had moments, even recently, where I'll say something positive and I like see that look on their face and I counteract it with something negative. And then I feel convicted walking away because I'm like, I didn't even need to add that. That wasn't even something that was a big deal, you know? And so I think that's really encouraging to remember that people who love you and who care for you, they're going to rejoice with you when you rejoice and they're going to support and be there for you. That doesn't mean we don't love people who struggle to support us. I think just like Felicia said, that's insecurity in its own right. And we can help to love them and point them to truth through that. But there's nothing wrong with having your stuff together at home as a mother. It's a gift. It's a blessing. And to do your best to walk in that um, with joy is an absolute gift. And it will be a light to other people. And so Felicia, we know you are not perfect. We're fully aware that none of us are perfect, but you do excel in motherhood. And so I just want to encourage other women today. What are three steps or three ways that our mom listeners can take control of their own homes and overcome the daily obstacles that may occasionally steal the joy of motherhood? Well, I love a good practical application. So um, I would say the first thing is take a piece of paper in your planner, sticking out the back of your child's latest art piece, <laughs> and write down three things in your motherhood or your home that consistently stress you out. And once you've written them down, mm-hmm. write down three to five ways that you could solve those problems. So say it's every day at 4 p.m., every child is yelling, and I'm trying to make dinner, and it's the most miserable time of the day. (laughs) That's a stressor, and it makes you not enjoy motherhood, not enjoy your kids. Your husband walks in the door, and you're like, hi, I would really love to hand off my progeny to you and run away for 40 minutes. (laughs) Um, But I'm supposed to be pleasant, so here's me trying. Instead of that, you know, what could I do? Okay. Maybe we don't do TV time any other time of the day. And it is from four to five. And then you get to make dinner in silence. Um, or you turn on a podcast that you love while you're cooking dinner, or maybe cooking dinner is boring. So you've decided to find some new recipes that really work for you coming up with tangible solutions to the most stressful points in your day. And I know this isn't spiritual and this isn't, you know, Christianese, but it works because you're becoming a problem solver for the things that are going on in your day. And when you live as a problem solver, mm-hmm. suddenly everything becomes an opportunity to grow and excel in the work that you're doing. So the second thing I'd say is to see your motherhood as work, whether you're working outside the home, inside the home, or are a stay-at-home mom, the work you do in the home and with your kids is work and it has value and it's valuable and God sees it as valuable whether or not this world does. In fact, mm-hmm. what's interesting, quick little history lesson because I love facts. Um the <laughs> you, you ladies know know this about me. Um the the view of women's work in the home as invaluable, which quite honestly is how our culture views it. We're constantly fighting for women's work in the home to be seen as valuable and men's. This was not the case until the Industrial Revolution. Up to that point, the home was a place of both work and 
rest, really, because businesses were out of the home. During the Industrial Revolution, home and work became distinct entities. You went to work and then you came home and home became a place of leisure. So now all of the valuable work is at the workplace. It's income producing. And all of the stuff done in the home is seen as just optional or leisure. So naturally, if the woman is in the home, she's seen as less valuable. And this was carried all through the 20th and into the 21st century because we still believe this. We don't see what's done in the home as actually valuable because it doesn't have a dollar sign attached to it. And If we can change that by saying, you know what, this is my work, this is my work, and I'm bringing the best of me to this, we will feel more fulfilled. So um, those would be that would be number two, and number three, I would say, do something for yourself that makes you feel like you are still a woman. Now, I think this starts with being in the Word of God because that's what you need to really be a woman of purpose, but a Additionally to that, I would say something like if you need to shower every day, like I do, I have taken a shower almost every day since my first child was born. That is because it's a priority to me. It makes me feel alive. <laughs> it's a simple thing, but it works for me. You can put the baby in a bouncy seat, put put them in the crib for five minutes, and then put on your makeup if you want. That's what I do. It could be reading for you. It could be whatever. But do something that brings you life. Find a way to prioritize it. Your kids seeing that is good for them. And it will help them honor you as their mother and see that you make that time. So those would be the three things I'd say. And here's an unsponsored ad for Felicia Masonheimer's Driven (laughs) Women Productivity Course. (laughs) Because, I mean, this is just, I'm part of her Driven Women Productivity Course, and it has really shaped my, the way that I do things. Like I started implementing uh, block scheduling and morning and evening routines, and it has dramatically made a difference in my home life. So thank you for that. And if you need productivity help, then find yourself at Felicia Masonheimer's website. I can vouch for the fact that it's unsponsored. (laughs) I talk to Amaris pretty much every day and she has brought this course up multiple times to me as something that has been so beneficial to her. So oh, that that blesses me so much. I am so, so glad to hear that. (laughs) So do you see, Felicia, do you see this failure-centric attitude as a pattern in our culture as a whole? Sometimes I think that there are a lot of conversations where people are shaming and amplifying the things that they that they think suck about their jobs, like nurses or wives or college students or even like politicians. It just seems like our culture as a whole um, it's an, this is an issue. Like they, everything is supposed to be about the failure. And I think it's because people want to feel less convicted, you know? So we, people would rather talk about their weaknesses and just be like, oh, well, we're, we're all failures basically. And so that they don't feel conviction, but in your opinion, um, how do you think that we as believers should respond to this cultural issue? I, I think you're totally right that it is a cultural issue. Um, I think a good example of this is like memes, to be honest. Aren't most memes, um, internet memes and jokes and little quotes are 
are based on negative experiences that we all laugh with because it's so relatable. And there's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with that. I love those things as much as the next person. But I think we just have to be cautious with what's going on in my mind. What am I preaching to myself? Because if I'm preaching negativity to myself, I'm going to live in a negative place. I think to change this when it comes to, you know, hashtag adulting, that's another example of this, you know, oh, I got up this morning and I I got to work five (laughs) minutes late, but I'm here, (laughs) you know, Um, and I hate every minute. I think we actually are are making it so much harder because the more you rehearse, it's like venting. Um, There's psychological proof that if you vent, it actually makes you more angry because you're rehearsing negativity back to yourself speaking it so you can hear it. And there's power in the word. We, we see this in the Bible that there's so much power in what we say. So what you're preaching to yourself is going to end up coming out in your behavior. And to change this, I think we can laugh about those jokes. We can even share the memes and the quotes and stuff like that. But what am I preaching to myself day to day? And what am I preaching to other people? Um, I think an example of what you could do I have a mom friend who is one of the most encouraging, positive women I know. I have always been scared to be too positive or encouraging for kind of what you mentioned earlier, you know, how it's received. But also, I feel like it can appear so fake. Like, I don't have struggles. Even if you're telling someone else, you know, you're great at this, it'll be awesome. Like, who's going to believe me? That's always been kind of in the back of my mind. So instead, I cover up that insecurity with sarcasm or jokes or humor instead of saying, you know what? I'm just going to consistently be genuine about both my life and genuinely compliment the successes I see in other people. That's what she does just naturally. And I realized over time, the more she's done it, the more I just see this is who she is. And I don't wonder anymore if she means it. I know she does. So I think consistently just speaking life to people and speaking life to yourself and affirming others, affirming what you're doing that's good, people will start to see and and not be threatened um, because they know that that's you. That's what you're endeavoring to speak life to your family, to yourself, to others, um, to be not just be positive, but really notice the good that is being accomplished that you are accomplishing. Um, I often encourage in productivity to, at the end of the day, you have your to-do list, right? Keep it to three to five things. Get that done or don't get it done. At the end of the day, write down a to-do list, everything that you did get done. And you'll be surprised at how many things are on that list that maybe weren't even on your to-do list. I think if we had a life to-do list, wow, look at all the successes that I had this week. Look at all the successes that that mom had and is having right now. Wouldn't that kill the mommy wars? It'd be so cool. I love that idea. My husband actually, side note, my husband actually asks me to do, he doesn't call it a to-do list, but that's what it is, a to-do list about like our relationship because I have a tendency to focus on the negative and will mention a ton of things that went wrong for the week between us if I'm in my head and emotional. And he'll say, write down all of the things that were sweet so that you can look back and remember in the moments when you're feeling really, really negative. And that has helped me immensely in our marriage and just navigating through 
my pessimism. And so doing that in motherhood, which sometimes brings even more of um, just a feeling of failure when you have these unrealistic expectations of yourself or when you're just focusing on the negative so much, it can be really beneficial. I love that idea. I love your idea for your marriage. I'm going to steal that, I think. So thank you. (laughs) Felicia, we would love to know just kind of like what is a glimpse of your day-to-day, you know, like what do you do each morning to help you face the day with joy and to feel like you are going to have a successful day? Well, you know, I love to talk about a good morning routine. I love to hear other people's morning routines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so much fun. But to give you kind of a, a glimpse, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So we're still kind of in that young kid stage. They still get sick, wake up in the night sometimes. So this isn't what it looks like every single morning. But mm-hmm. typically, I try to get up between 5.30 and 6 a.m. Sometimes I work out. Um, I try to work out three times a week. That's I'm really focusing on that this year. Sometimes I write for an hour because I'm working on the book. Um, And then after that, I go make breakfast, start some coffee if I haven't already, and do my devotions. Um, Usually this is about half an hour. It's not like a set time, but I have a reading plan I'll follow and I'll just take some notes um, in my journal and study the passage. Or if I don't do it, then I'll do it later in the day, depending on how the morning goes. And then from then on, I have a set routine for before noon where I do, I clean a room in the house that's assigned for that day of the week. I do a certain type of laundry. Um, so lights or darks or kids clothes or whatever. Um, then we do preschool. We try to get outside and we do, you know, any other small household tasks that I might add to the morning. I try to keep it to just five. And so by noon, when I make lunch, all of our household management stuff will be done and we will just be usually reading on the couch or something before I make lunch and then they go down for their quiet time or their naps. And that's the time when I start working. So I really try to focus in the morning on none of my actual work. So I don't answer emails. I try to limit my phone time. And that time is really dedicated to the home, being with the girls, my own self. So working out and then other than the writing in the morning, because I do better writing in the morning. um, It's just focused on in the home and, and being with my my kids. So very simple. It has to be flexible. There are plenty of days when my workout might be in the afternoon or the evening or my devotions are at 10 a.m. You know, I shift it around based on the demands of the day. But what matters is I have the same like five things that need to get done. Um, I just might move it later or earlier depending on what happens. I have loved watching some of the stories where you're doing your devotional, because I can just, I always do this. Like I think of what listeners are thinking while they listen and I'm thinking they're like, Oh yeah, how nice that your kids let you do a devotional if they're awake while you're doing it. But you've shared stories where you're sitting on the couch doing your devotional and they're jumping, like not jumping, but they're crawling all over the couch and they're talking to you, but you still continue to do it. You're faithful in it because it's set for you. And although you're flexible and the times might change, like you don't sacrifice that. You just teach your children that this is mom's time in the word and you guys can read, you guys can play, you can do those things during that time. So it's it's sweet because I, I know even in my mind, sometimes I just think, oh my gosh, there's no way I would get that done. If I exercise, they're crawling all over me. But I believe it really teaches a good lesson for them to see that we're committed to something, that we're faithful with the little things 
and, you know, walking them out day to day. Yes, that's so well put. Because one of the principles with that for me is because I only have help with my business um, one day a week. I I have a babysitter one day a week. I need nap time to do the stuff I can't do when they're awake. And so it started with that that being the necessity of my life. I was like, I have to do everything I can do with them with me when they're awake. Um, and so that includes mm-hmm. things like my workout and my devotions. And so that's how it started. And through that, it really, I really realized like, you know, I don't need it to be perfectly quiet to get something out of God's word. And they've learned, they've learned to be quieter. They've learned to go and get their own Bibles. It's so cute now that they, they'll go get their own Bibles and they'll sit on the floor next mm-hmm. to me and, and flip through. We do have a problem with them getting markers and writing in the Bibles. We're working on that. They don't quite understand the concept, but um, you know, it's really sweet because it's a lesson for me in setting aside my impatience and setting aside the ideal quiet time, if you will, you know, the coffee and Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot for me too, but it doesn't always. And and I just know I can't get through the day and be patient and be kind and, and reflect the fruits of the spirit if I am not in the word. I, I can't, I struggle with anger um, and impatience. And so I just know that it's so essential. And I just hope, like, I'm glad that's what you got from those stories because I just hope that other moms can see that, I'm not, it's not that I, I struggle and that's why I have to do this, be in the word, even with my kids there right with me. So to all of our listeners, we are going to be sending out sample morning routines um, that Felicia has written up to our mailing lists. So if you've subscribed to either my mailing list, Lindsay's mailing list, or Amaris's mailing list, you will receive that as soon as this episode is published. So hopefully something visual that you can hang on your wall or refrigerator will be beneficial in um, just implementing this into your life to make your motherhood more joyful and more purposeful. So Felicia, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being here. We loved having you. Thank you for having me. This was such a fun conversation. So you guys, I just want to close out with just some encouragement that Jesus has given us as women, as mothers, the ability to share the living, breathing word of God with our children and to raise them up in truth, to display joy in all of our circumstances. We are their example. I always think of that country song. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but basically he's just following his daddy's footsteps. And we can tell our children every single day to be kind, but unless we are kind and we exemplify that kindness, they won't see that as an example as they grow up. Mm -hmm. And we can tell them every single day to focus on the excellent, the pure, and the lovely things of life like Philippians calls us to. But if we're griping and only focusing on the negatives and living out this failure-centric mindset or motherhood, our children are far more likely to follow our actions rather than our words. So my encouragement is to allow your words and your actions to match up in the lives that you are hopeful to see your children live, to strive to live that out by God's grace, not with an an expectation of perfection, but with a desire to honor Him and glorify Him. So if you have any takeaway from this today, I hope that you all walk away with a desire to shift your perspective from the I just can't adult today mentality, which is a lie that the enemy really wants to feed in our culture 
and instead shift it back toward God's truth, which says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, 37. So thank you all so much for listening. Please make sure to screenshot this episode, head over to Instagram and tag us in your screenshot. Let us know what your biggest quick takeaway was, because it makes us so happy to know what you gained, what you learned, um, and what encouraged you. And we will be linking all of Felicia's social media platforms and her website in the details below. We will also include that information with our morning routines that we mail out. And then her free productivity course is on her website as well. So thank you so much, Felicia. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Milk and Honey podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a second to visit our page on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It would mean so much to us. Your review helps the show to be found by other women like you. And it also helps us to continuously grow and become better as a podcast. For a daily pick-me-up, follow me, Lindsay, on Instagram at Sparrows and Lily and Amorous at Amorous Beecher. Tune in next week for more laughter, fun, hope, and encouragement. Bye, guys.